0: Good morning, friends. It's an honor to be with you today. I, uh, I must start by, first of all, just saying thank you to my family here. I uh, said goodbye to my only l- sibling that was left two weeks ago. And uh, today would have been his 60th birthday. And um, he had really hoped to make it to 60. 60. He didn't quite make it, but uh, we are rejoicing that he's probably having the best birthday party he could have ever had. And uh, But through it all, this church has just been amazing. Um, I have received numerous letters and cards from elders and, and other ministers and just people have journeyed with us, but particularly for my poor mother who was somewhat demented at this point with Parkinson's disease, and you all have loved on her, and just really carried us through it, and I just wanna say thank you very, very much this morning for doing that. John 7 and 8 probably could be labeled as two of the most difficult chapters, and that's why I'm convinced that Randall gave it to me. He knew I'd blow it so and everybody expected me to blow it, right? <laughs> but we're going to dig in today because I think it has a profound message. I am not going to hit every verse. We're not going to exegete it at all. We're going to hit highlights. Um, I picked out some themes that we're going to hit with it. But it's going to be very, very interactive. So what I want you to do this morning, just to get started, is I want you to think for just a minute with me about your week. What hymn has your life sung this week? Think about your week that you've just had. What, if you had to label it with a hymn title, what hymn has your life sung this week? On stormy banks I said everybody stand up find two or three people share your hymns with each other for just a minute okay get up and interact we got to get started
1: I would say to say
0: Right here. She needs a partner. <laughs> what are we doing? I just walked in. I missed the prom. What hymn did your life sing this week? <laughs> in my luck. Okay. T- I was in... What yeah. time am I supposed to be finished? I think it's 15 too. I don't know. What time am I supposed to be finished? Quarter till. Yeah. Quarter till. Okay.
2: What? Now, boy, you can go. Sit down, Randy. She can go as long she
3: She w- can go as long as she wants.
0: The doc- sneak
4: up here. He's got returned you. to me.
0: Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're thank welcome. I'll suck them. Okay. Praise
4: God. Praise yeah. God.
0: this morning as we begin. Amen. Thank you, Sandy. Four themes out of John 7 and 8. The first one is that Jesus, um, well, his identity is that he is sent from God. It's very, very important that Jesus' identity is not in the tabernacle. Jesus' identity is not in the temple. Jesus' identity is not as part of the Jewish religious leadership. Jesus' identity is the fact that he is sent from God. We're going to deal with that in the last part of our class. Faithful interaction of the Jewish tradition. He comes to honor the Jewish tradition, not to do away with it. He comes to fulfill it, and yet he is not bound by it. The faith decision that Jesus' presence demands... What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us that Jesus was truly sent by God and that he honored the Jewish tradition, but he didn't find himself bound by it? And the last is the increasing threat on Jesus' life. We see this, and he's leading up to the cross all the way through 7 and 8. And he's trying to get them to see that what they're doing in their religious practices is not what it's all about. There's going to be a new way. John 4, as you know and as you've heard and been taught even in this class, revolves around the comparison between Jesus and who? Do you have any idea? John 4. Whose well was it that the, good, that the Samaritan woman was sitting by? Jacob. Jacob, all right. So all through four, we're seeing the comparison of Jesus and Jacob because John is wanting us to see here how Jesus is honoring the Jewish story and the story of God, that this is one continuous story. We get to six, and we're seeing the comparison of Jesus and Moses. And eight, where we are today, we're going to see the comparison of Jesus and Abraham. It's a faith story. Where is your faith today? Is the faith in the Feast of the Tabernacles, which will be the shadow of what we open up with, in the religious and traditions that we stand on? Or is it truly in the interaction and the life you have in Jesus Christ that's given to us by the Spirit? Where is that? Let's open our Bibles to John 7. Hilton, would you read those first 13 verses for us? John 7, 1 to 13. And after these
2: things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, and your disciples may also behold your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. Jesus, therefore, said to them, My time is not yet at hand, but your time is always opportune
3: world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify
2: of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. And having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as it were, in secret. The Jews, therefore, were seeking him at the feast and were saying, Where is he? And there was much grumbling among the multitudes concerning him. Some were saying, He's a good man. (coughs) Others were saying, No, on the contrary, he leads the multitudes astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him
3: for fear of the Jews.
0: Thank you, Hilton. I think it's really important for us to see this Feast of Tabernacles and know a little bit about it, because it is clearly the backdrop for the message that I think John is wanting us to get here. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of the three pilgrimage festivals that the Jewish people observed. Do you know what the other two were? Passover Passover and Pentecost. Pentecost, okay. It's also known as the Feast of the Booths. It's where the Jewish people traveled to Jerusalem to say thank you for the way their ancestors had been taken care of in the pilgrimage, in the uh, years that they spent in the wilderness. God had taken very good care of them, and they had met in tents, and God's presence was there, and they went to say thank you for that time. It was also the Feast of the Harvest. It was held usually September to October, late September. It varied a little bit each year. But it was an agricultural thanks for the bountiful harvest, much like our Thanksgiving that we have today. But instead of staying in their own homes with their families, they traveled and they went to Jerusalem. Because after Solomon, the the whole idea had been that the presence of God was encapsulated in that temple. And they had, they had taught that you had to go to the temple to experience God. And so the Jews very freely, they all took off and they went. Josephus says that it's the most important of the three festivals. First Kings 8.2 tells us that Solomon actually dedicated the temple during the Feast of Booths, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, it, this is not, I mean, we talk a lot about Passover and Pentecost. We don't know much about this one, but I think it's. it really is the only festival that Jesus actually traveled in in the Synoptics. He did not travel for Passover or Pentecost. Why was this important? Let's go a little bit deeper. Um, I've said that the temple became the exclusive spot where the divine presence could be encountered. (laughs) And we think, you know, really? I mean, don't you get it? I mean, it's God, for heaven's sakes. Literally, for heaven's sakes, that's not slang. (laughs) Um, And yet, are we not guilty of the same thing? I tell parents when they come to Lipscomb for advance, I said, don't call and ask your kids where they're going to church. Because you're going to get real disappointed with these millennials and these Z's and X's or whatever it is we've got now. Mm -hmm. I said, don't ask them that. That's not what they want to talk about. Call and ask your students. Tell me about your prayer life. How have you experienced God this week in your classes? because our new generation that's what they want to talk about our generation is where do you want where are you going to church Randy and I are often asked this is kind of the litmus test for the purity of Lipscomb University does Lipscomb still have chapel <laughs> and we can gladly and proudly say yes we do but that's not the question I'm absolutely convinced that we could have chapel every single day and students could come in there and we've had students that do this. They come in and they sit and they go to chapel every single day and they leave without faith and we have failed them. This was the tradition and this was what was going on. Unless we look at them and say, "Ah, come on, we need to look at ourselves and say, you know, what's going on? And how much are we encapsulating the presence of God in this building here? How much are we measuring our spirituality by how often we attend the festivals that go on? And is that really what it's about? Is that what Jesus was teaching us in John 7 and 8? Jesus came and said, It's neither in a tent or a temple, but it would be fully and finally manifested through a cross. Both pointed the way of the day when God would dwell in the hearts of believers and after the barrier of sin had been removed because of the cross and through the cross and the new covenant that God would have with his people. Jesus' very own brothers didn't get it. They didn't understand. <laughs> they said, Why don't you go on and get up there to that temple and, and, well, just affirm the disciples that are in Jerusalem? You know, like, go tell the people of Nashville that um, you really can do these deeds. That that you really can manifest miracles. And so therefore you must be who you say you are. And Jesus said, not gonna happen. That's not what it's about. They didn't get it. They went on and left him. He said, It's not yet my time. And yet, it was his time he followed them, but he followed them in secret. He followed them alone. Ever been there? Where you just simply couldn't follow the crowd and play the game anymore? You had to stop and think about what was real. You had to just get out and seek God on your own. I pray you have. Jesus went and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. He wasn't supposed to keep his mouth shut. He had to give him a clue of, hey friends, there's more to this story. There's something else going on here. And he argued with him. And this is what we see in seven and eight, and that's why we're not, it's just continual conflict and response, and conflict and response, conflict and response all the way through seven and eight. I encourage you to go back and read it, but I want to look at big pictures here and not get down into the depths of the conflict. <coughs> Let's skip on over to 37 and 39. <coughs> on the last day of the festival, the Great Day, the festival lasted seven days in Jerusalem, eight days out in the diaspora in the larger areas because There were some that didn't go to Jerusalem. But on the last day, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. And as the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Does your Bible read like that? More or less. less. It's significant. Have you got NIV? Read it out of NIV for me, Hilton. Somebody. Somebody. Sally read it out of NIV somebody has got NIV read it out of NIV
1: by this he meant the spirit is that where you want me to start
0: start at 37
1: 37. on the last and greatest day of the feast Jesus stood and said in a loud voice if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said streams of living water will flow from within from within by this he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified.
0: Did you hear the difference? The NIV says, out of his spirit. The NRSV says, out of the believer's heart. Scholars debate clearly whether his spirit is referring to Jesus' spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. The NRSV scholars found in a very, very early manuscript punctuation that changed that so that the his right there could not be translated to refer to the spirit. It had to be referred to the believer's heart. Again, I think this is, is a pretty dramatic difference. And I think it is truly the, the teaching of John 7. I mean, it's the essence. That, that what's going to happen here is that the Spirit is going to flow out of us. Because of Jesus and because of what happened when he died and he sent the Spirit to us, out of us the Spirit will flow and we will become that fountain of living water. It's not just a one-way, give a momentary drink of water that Jesus gives us to quench our thirst. No, what he gives us, he gives us a well that gushes up in us and gives us purpose in life and gives us the ability to be his hands and feet here and sustain our energy and sustain our joy so that we can write letters from prison, and we've got a bigger story to live in. It's not just, I'll take care of you for the moment. That changes everything, I think. It's a completely different way. Talk to me about that. Comments?
2: It's real easy to lapse into a kind of a selfish form of Christianity where it's me, me, me. I'm looking to be inspired. I'm looking to be lifted up. I'm I'm not getting anything out of this. All that's true. You need to be lifted up as a result of it, but it's also sharing and living in a way that you are helping to uplift up others and reaching out to others.
0: On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Dry, poached. My question that I really want us to pause and think about for a minute is, why do we not celebrate Pentecost? in our church. Why do you think we don't celebrate? Why is Pentecost not a big deal?
2: Well, we left the Church of the Nazarene appropriate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're kind of a
0: heady church, right? Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not in that tribe. <laughs> we're not in that tribe. The okay.
3: tr- Church of Christ is always emphasized the New Testament over old. Okay. I'm sure that has part to do with it. But that was the
2: beginning of the church, the Pentecost.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's like our birth.
0: Yeah. Somebody else back there? I
3: said it's not our story.
0: It's not our story. What do you mean by that? Talk to me. It, we're not Jews. We're not Jews. Right. Okay.
2: But on the day of Pentecost that we're talking about, it's when the Holy Spirit came and, and landed on the disciples, not just the twelve, but on the three five yeah we, we don't
3: talk about that it's too, supernatural.
0: It's what? too much supernatural
3: stuff going on and people in churches christ teach against that so it's too much supernatural. So supernatural we really can't quantify and grasp and explain so let's just leave that out <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, but Scripture does teach that the Holy Spirit came down upon them, and that's got to be pretty miraculous, right?
3: right? Right.
0: I think it'd be easier to... Tra- yeah, I think we've got our hands around maybe the tongue part of it, but the coming of the Holy Spirit, how do you get your head around that one? I think you are on something there.
3: Yeah, don't you think it kind of snowballed? Talk to me. Uh, well... You know when Jesus was crucified some supernatural things happened. Uh, yeah. So like the there was the sun stopped shining and people were right there was an earthquake, temple curtain was ripped into So Jerusalem, there were people were talking about this, this sort of supernatural yeah. activity. And then Peter steps up on the day of Pentecost and says, Hey, y'all killed the Son of God and this is what happened. And people start Coming forth, and they're baptized, and then more supernatural stuff happens. Maybe the and uh, and so, you know, was it three thousand or four thousand were baptized on that day?
0: Pretty so. amazing day, huh? We don't understand Christmas. I mean, really, can you explain away what happened in the incarnation? There was a lot of miraculous stuff that went on that night. The star and the wise men—I mean, all of that. We—how do you explain all of that in a Church of Christ way? We don't get the Catholics have that that one. Okay. They go in the door. We go in the windows. They go in the door. We go in the windows. What about what about Easter? Can you explain that one to us? We make a big deal about Easter. We buy new clothes. We, you know, we, we do all kinds of things with Easter. Who had that one, Randall?
2: It's the, the bunnies just confused.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I
3: think, I think all of the. I'm, I'm old and I've been. Aren't we all? <laughs>
0: Forty-five
3: years, and I, 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 So I was there back. in. Taught and, and and people practiced it. And basically, the, the message was, and I was joking about it, that, but that—that was the old line. If the vans go in the door, we'll go in the windows. You know, and and there was so much of that in the thirties and forties well, I wasn't in the forties and fifties and so forth. Uh, that you know, you, you it was taught. No Christmas trees. You know. Uh, We we just don't do that, you know. And and don't sing those songs at at church. Mm -hmm. You know, you go home and sing as you want. And and that sort of thing. And Easter. Easter was the one that was always hard. I was raised in a holiness church, so that was a little bit of a shock to find out there was no Easter or Christmas or (coughs) Pentecost.
0: But let's own this for a minute. I mean, Otter Creek has a pretty good Christmas celebration? We've got a pretty good Easter thing going on around here.
3: Maybe if there had been a, a pagan holiday that correlated with <laughs> Pentecost, we could it over.
0: We can counteract the pagan. As long as the pagans are quiet, we will be too, right? <laughs> what do we lose if we don't celebrate Pentecost? And we don't get our hands around the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes.
4: Uh, you know, there is there's like almost not things that Jesus has said in every one of the Gospels, but He said in every one of the Gospels, uh, yes, John baptized you with water, but. I shall baptize you in the Holy Spirit. That was said in all four gospels. Someone brought that up in the retreat. And that's that's one of the very few things he said in every gospel. Mm-hmm. And then in, uh, when it happened, he said, this is in fulfillment of Joel. And so this whole big event was predicted Back in the Old Testament, and, and Jesus said it four times, and you we know, like, never even mentioned those scriptures. So I remember, that this was like the big event. Yeah. Water was going to be something, but yet what's really going to happen is I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. And then Jesus even said, gotta go away or else the Holy Spirit will come and, and you know uh, just I've been with you he said but I will be in you and it's like the big event but we, we just don't talk about it
0: you're right Nan yes I
3: think it's bigger um, if I remember Peter's sermon in Acts 2 he says the coming of the Spirit was proof of the resurrection
0: Yes. Thank you. The great comment. I can't hear you, I'm sorry. He's preparing our hearts for the Great Commission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
4: And it's going to come in different ways.
0: We, we, we kind of like this form and structure here. And we kind of like coming to church and having it all be kind of straight. And, and that spirit stuff gets kind of scary. Yes. I we'll on what you just said.
3: When you deal with here, here's the biggest you have to see. You can't control it. You, can't, you cannot manipulate. You cannot orchestrate you cannot tell it what to do, it moves you, you don't move it Mm -hmm. And you don't know when it's going to do it, what it's going to do. All you know is it's going to do it at some time, but you can't tell when that time is going to happen. So how do we celebrate and recreate what we can't control? Mm
0: -hmm. If you think about it for just a minute, if we give up the Holy Spirit, we have to give up prayer. Because the Holy Spirit is what intercedes and takes our prayers and makes them heard by the Father. Allows the Father to hear us. In Galatians, Paul's writing and he said, the fruit of the Spirit. If we don't celebrate the Spirit and we don't, if we don't embrace the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, self control, gentleness, goodness. Uh, really? Are we as Christians really ready to do that? Someone has said that Christianity without the Spirit is like a swimming pool without water. There's form and structure, but no function. Christianity without the spirit is like a swimming pool without water. There's form and structure, but there's no function. Are we willing to give up the water? And have we not to a point given up the water for the form and the structure? And I think Jesus, that, that's what he's trying to help them see in John 7 and 8. Is folks, let's talk about the water. Let's talk about the baptism of the. Let's talk about what's going on here with the spirit and what's going to come, and quit worrying about the form and the structure. <coughs> um, through believing in Jesus, we receive the spirit, and through the spirit, we have Jesus always. It's it's circular. But Jesus has not been confined to the small space of our hearts, but rather our hearts have become like His, large and life-giving rivers of living water. That's why I think that change in the NRSV is so very important, is that that's exactly what the Spirit calls us to do, is we become the river of the living water, that it doesn't become capsulated in our little chamber of a heart. What happened to my brother two weeks ago on Wednesday morning was that that heart of his that was so diseased and so broken and cracked like many old swimming pools, the form and the structure had gone, but all of a sudden he saw in the fullness the glory of God that had been in that heart, but had been formed and was being held tightly while he was here on earth. Let's go to 8-1-11. We've got five minutes. 8-1-11, there's great debate about whether this is in the right place. This doesn't sound like John. It doesn't fit with John. It's much more Lukean than John. Luke talked about women. He talked about all this. Um, there's great debate on why it's even particularly at this place in John. Whether or not it even belongs in John is a debate, but then why it's here, um, it, it, it's just not, it doesn't fit in style or location. It includes such phrases as scribes and Pharisees, which is this is the only place in John where that phrase is used. The unnamed woman is guilty of the same sin as the woman in John four. Um, The question, though, that I want to lead into to, to talk for the rest of the class is really a question that they bring to Jesus, the accusers bring to Jesus, and it's not really a moral question. It's not really even a religious question. The question the accusers bring to Jesus is a question to trap him and it's a question that has political motives. They're wanting to nail him and put him in a dilemma to where if he upholds the Jewish tradition and the law of the Jews that says this woman should be stoned, then what he's going to do is he's going to break down the Roman law And the Romans had held that they were the only ones that could sentence capital punishment. So here he is. And what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to uphold the Jewish tradition and go against the Romans? Or is he going to give it to the Romans and break the Jewish law? And of course, you know exactly what he does. Friends, we got some situations in our world today that are calling us, and we're going to be right there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask Randy to come and share one that we're dealing with very tangibly, that we need your prayers on. But this is your issue, not just a higher education issue. Randy, talk to us about the the ruling of the Canadian Supreme Court and what's going on in higher ed right now.
1: Well, obviously, in our country, we're wrestling with uh, a lot of values that clash in the way we ultimately in a secular way is to go to the Supreme Court. Uh, two weeks ago in Canada, uh, a Supreme Court decision came down that's been in the works for uh, in moving that direction for a number of years. Uh, there's a school in Canada called Trinity Western, which is a uh, Christian college. Uh, and they wanted to start a law school, but they wanted to apply in the law school uh, their standards in terms of uh, a fairly traditional sexual uh, behavior guideline, and uh, the bar essentially said, We won't accredit your school if you apply that standard. And so, this conflict between uh, at least their sincere religious beliefs in uh, sexuality and a traditional view of marriage came in conflict with uh, the secular folks who would have to say yes to the school, went all the way to the Supreme Court, and uh, the Supreme Court of Canada said, Well, our job is really a balancing job. We have to weigh the rights of those who want to practice whatever they want to practice and the rights of this school to uh, limit in some way those practices. And uh, they ruled against the school uh, and against its accreditation and against its establishment uh, in a way that is is interesting because they simply said uh, there's not a, a piece of morality that comes in here. There isn't a judgment that comes in here. We just kinda have to weigh all of this and we wanna be protective of these folks here. Uh, We're only one Supreme Court case away from that here. We have two cases at the Court of Appeal right now uh, that will determine whether uh, non-discrimination applies uh, in employment in Christian institutions. That can include both Christian colleges could also even include churches. And so that Supreme Court case, that's not unlike the Canadian case, uh, will be decided uh, in the next year or two. And and so I I think it's just an example of how we Christians are living in a secular world, uh, and and we see that conflict, just like in the first century, uh, repeat itself over and over again. We're not immune to uh, those moments. And in saying all that, don't take me wrong, I'm not suggesting that we not be uh, fair and, and very, very gracious uh, to people who have different views than we do. That's not mm-hmm. the point. The point is that when the court says it's just a matter of balance, uh, almost uh, any trend in society then could win the day. And that trend is probably uh, not then going to be, always be reflective of,
0: What I want you to hear though today, thank you, Randy, is we're going to be asked to make decisions in our day of human rights versus religious rights. Unless we become just like Pharisees and to say well of course religious rights are going to rule. Absolutely. They've got to rule. Religious, I mean we ought to be able to do what we need to do to follow scripture. I think John 7 and 8 has a story for us that we've got to read. And to the point of saying friends, gotta get the questions right. The question is not The form and the substance, the question is, what is God doing here? We think we know two kinds of thought that I encourage you to always avoid. And one is that God is not doing something. As we face these dilemmas in our culture, God is up. Something And God is right in the middle of it. And he's doing something. But the other kind of a thought I want you to avoid is walking in there without a whole lot of spiritual discipline and a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of relationship with the spirit. And say, I know what God's doing. Let me tell you because that's exactly where the Pharisees were. That's exactly what's going on here in John 8. They don't get Jesus. Jesus had come to completely change the paradigm, completely change what was going on. And could we be in that kind of situation right now? Let's not miss it. Phyllis Tickle in her book called The Great Emergence, says that about every 500 years, God does something really amazing with this church. If you go back 500 years from right now, you have the split of the Roman Catholic Church. You have Martin Luther. So we have the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church splitting. You go back 500 years from that, and you have the split of the Orthodox Church and the Roman Church. You go back 500 years from that, and you have the canonization of Scripture. You go back 500 years from that and you have the incarnation of Jesus Christ. You go back 500 years from that and you have the monarchy. You go back 500 years from that and you have Abraham. Could it be, and there's a lot in that book I don't agree with, but she argues that we're about 60 years into it and people will look back on the era that we're living in right now and it will be as significant as some of those transitions. Let us not go forward as people thinking we know exactly what God is doing because of the form and culture and structure we've had and miss what the Spirit is wanting to pour out on us in new life. There's an amazing story out there. And the question is, are we going to live by faith? Are we going to live by form? And I think John 7 and 8 are calling us to live by faith in a story and a God that will bring us life like we've never known it. Bless you this week.